So that's once again Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, the first time I hung out with uh, Matt, uh, I was 18, he was about 20, maybe 21, and he used to live with a guy called John Rumble, and so as young men, what did we do when exams were over? Put some popcorn in, in the microwave at Matt's house, pull up a bean bag, and watch The Little Mermaid. No joke, we did a Disney movie marathon. It may or may not have been girls there, I'm not sure. But I'm curious as to whether, has Matt moved on, or has, ha, having three daughters, kept his interest in, in Disney movies alive and well? Has he been using it in sermons? Well, if he, if he starts, if this uh, spawns a, a torrent of, of references uh, to Disney movies, I make no apology. I only say in our mutinous Leonine brothers' words, be prepared... Uh, but our topic today, um, I, I've since moved on to action and gangster movies, and uh, our topic today is living in peace, specifically peace with God. And that theme finds its way into action and gangster movies. But first of all, let's think about peace with God. It is a beautiful, beautiful concept, isn't it? So beautiful, you could even think it's idyllic, a little bit out of reach. Why? Because we're not born into a world living at peace with God. We're born into a world with trouble and pain and regret and guilt. And so when, when you come to an action movie, you'll know the spot that the peace of God comes in. It's where one of the characters has been shot 47 times in the chest and one of them's on the left. You know, when one of them's on the left, 
they're not probably going to survive unless they're a main character and they go into, you know, life support or whatever. But anyway, so they're on the ground and they're going, I think I found, and you go, hurry up. Yes, you're going to die. I think I found my peace with God. Okay, and they die. And so that's where it comes in. You die in peace with God. And is that what our society believes about peace with God? Is it something you die in? Well, when I uh, drive down the hill through Guildford, I often will drive through a cemetery. And if I was to pull over my car and get out and have a look at all of the gravestones, what would they say? They would say three words, wouldn't they? Rest in peace. Peace is what we hope people rest in. Peace is something that you die in. You don't live in peace with God. If you said you lived in peace with God, people would think you're arrogant or maybe you're bonkers. But Scripture says, yes, you do live in peace with God. You do. God says, you can live at peace with me. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that good news, great news? If you didn't know that, or if you struggle intensely with that, this is where you can breathe out and enjoy the goodness and greatness of that news that you can live, live at peace with God. But before we get to Scripture, I want to press in a bit further. I want to ask you, how you sometimes find peace apart from Scripture, apart from the peace that God says he has offered for you. Do you, like me, find peace in distraction? The religion of distraction, as John Dixon calls it. Do you chuck the board in the car or the golf clubs in the, in the boot and uh, go for a drive? Um, do you just chuck on Netflix, anything to take your mind off things when you don't feel at peace because of maybe the trouble, the pain, the regret and the guilt in your life? Or more like my wife, do you find a sense of security in comparison? When she wasn't a Christian, she, used to, she said to me, she used to think, well, I'm, generally I'm average or at least a little bit better than average. But doesn't that also relate to my relationship with God? He's not going to come and punish all of us. Is he? As long as I'm in the top half, hmm, do you compare yourself to other people? Or do you become the, like Matt was, the accountant, where you put in, you always just want to be in the black. Is that right? Black? Is the black good? Black is good. Black is good. Thank you, Matt. Um, so you want to be in the black. You do something wrong, but then, and you know that displeases God, but you do something right to balance up the ledger. My friend in Bulgaria, when I was talking to him about the concept of grace, he was like, that's exactly how I relate to God, good and bad. As long as the good, the good outweighs the bad, he's going to be okay with me. Or are you a worker? Don't think, just work. You might have heard of the Fathering Project, started by some um, uh, Bruce Robinson and some other people in Perth. And he went around to people who would, uh, men often, who were on their deathbed. Who, would, who were about to die with terminal cancer, cancer or whatever, and he said to them, do you know how many of them wished they had spent more time at the office when they're about to die? None. But yet they did, didn't they? They did. They just pour their life into their work, maybe to find peace. 
maybe in a weird way, to find rest. And so, when you are, uh, oh sorry, and our last one, that is just a picture of darkness. Maybe you don't even have ways of finding rest, not even fake ways of finding rest. Maybe when you look at yourself, you think, well, I know what's in me, and anyone who knows, any God who knows what's in my mind, in my heart, would not accept me. I can't even accept myself. And maybe you sit in that darkness at times, and that's not peace. That's tortured and a trapped existence. And I wonder, do you find yourself drawn to one of these counterfeit, fake ways of finding peace in your life? I reckon you do, like me. And let me tell you a secret. None of them work. None of them work. Distraction, comparison, self-judgment, work, dwelling in dark thoughts do not bring peace. But there is a way, a true way, and he actually called himself the way, and we have read about him, we have read about God's plans, and so let's turn there now to find out how we can live in peace, in peace with God. I might just pray for myself as well, I know we've already prayed, but please pray with me. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for your scripture you've given us. Please be with me as I try to explain it. And and let me and everyone here remember it is your word and not my word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, uh, we're going to go through just the first eight verses here that were read. And I'm going to give us four questions to help us go through them. Sometimes questions are a helpful way of getting through a passage especially here because there are about 27 and a half theological concepts and I can't get to all of them. So I'm going to give you four questions, four how questions to help us um, tease out what's there. So the first how question is, how can we have peace with God? Let me read. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we have peace with God? through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our peace with God comes because of our faith in Jesus. So our peace from troubles, pain and and regret and guilt comes through faith. Now particularly those last two things, regret and guilt, have to do with how we are in the wrong before God. Like if, you're, like if you've driven your parents' car before and crashed it and you have to go and see them, you are in the wrong when you approach them. Or if you have to approach your boss and you've lost an important client, same deal. You're in the wrong and that's us before God. That's our starting position before God. As we did the confession, as we, as we uh, said the creed together, it's clear for us. But faith with God, see what it says? Faith with God puts us in the right. We are righteousified, justified, righteous, made righteous. They mean the same thing. We are justified. And so the next question we must ask is, well, 
If faith makes us righteous before God, what is faith and how does it work? Well, let's read verse 2. Through whom? Through Jesus, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So how does faith in Jesus work? Well, everyone who believes Jesus was killed for our sins and raised to life again stands in grace. Now, I cheated a little bit. I went two verses behind this to really define faith for you because the whole of chapter 4 in Romans is about redefining for Jewish readers and us, what is faith? Look at 4 verse 24. It says, uh, also for us, so 4 verse 24 and 25, if you've switched on your Bible or whatever, um, also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, that is Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So that is what faith is. Believing God is powerful to do what he has promised. What's an example of that in Scripture? A very simple one is when the disciples are on the boat with Jesus. Uh, What do they say? They say, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and he says, where is your faith? They have stopped believing in Jesus' power to protect himself and them. And this is for us too. We must believe in God's power to make us right before him, to have peace with him. And so we stand in grace because of our faith in Jesus. Now, what is grace? Grace simply means gift. Let me tell you a story about Luba, who was uh, the Ukrainian grandma. She came around to our house once, and she got Dawn to put her hands on the table, and she drew a little sort of outline around them. She went home that day, and I think the next day, or maybe two days later, she brought back a pair of mittens. She brought back a pair of mittens. Now, now Dawn tried them on, and they were a little bit too small. So she took them with her, and she bought them, she unknitted them, like pulled them apart, and re-knitted them bigger. I mean, amazing. I didn't even know anyone who could knit, let alone unknit. And so then Dawn put them on, and Let me tell you what we didn't do. We didn't go, oh, Dawn, you're amazing for putting on those gloves. We didn't do that. We said, Lula, you're amazing. How did you do that so quickly, just from that? You know, not even one of those, you know, um, drawings that you find with all the hash marks in the books um, that that your mother used to buy. Of course, she did. Um, We said, thank you, Lula. What a gift. And that is, that is how we are to approach God. We stand in a permanent, living sense of giftedness. We stand in grace. Our righteousness is not earned or worked for. It is given. Do you come to God every day on that basis? Do you come to God Standing in a permanent state of giftedness, of grace. I bet you don't. And if I'm wrong, fantastic. Fantastic. Because we should. And the reason I bet you don't is because I regret the fact that more days of my Christian life 
I haven't either. I haven't come before God looking at the basic Christian 101 stuff of Scripture that I relate to God on the basis of grace. Lord, I don't deserve you. I'm not good enough. I'm not the person you want me to be. I have all these problems. But Jesus is the person you wanted him to be. He did exactly what you wanted. And he has no problems before you. And on that basis alone, I call you my loving God and I worship and adore you. And I know you will accept me. That's true peace with God, isn't it? That's what it is to live at peace with God. The next question we we have to ask is how will this peace with God change us? How will living in peace with God change you and me? Well, let's continue on. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So how will having peace with God change you? You will become a very hopeful person. So what's the opposite of hope? Probably doubt or something like that. And you imagine someone going up to the Apostle Paul and saying, I'm struggling with doubts. And the Apostle Paul says to you, oh, well, let me fill you with hope. Something's going to happen in the future. Uh, you've, you've got something within you that you sometimes can't feel. Um, and, oh, and suffering. You think that's an unusual three things to give someone who's doubting. They don't immediately fill me with hope, do they? But this is what it says. Because of the future, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and because of suffering, we shall become very hopeful people. How is it? Well, I think if you've read the Bible much at all, you, you know that the future to God might as well be the present. So when God says to Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations, you read on and it happens. And they inherit the land. And under Solomon, they're the greatest nation in the whole world. And to God, who promised it back then, it was as if it had already happened. But yet everyone on and on throughout, throughout um, the Pentateuch, the first five books is sort of doubting and wondering how is this going to happen. But to God, the future is like the present. And so we see there, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. One day, God will have all the glory, all of it, and it will be seen and felt, and he will share it with us, his children. We had a hope in that. It's a stunning hope. We'll share in the glory of God on that day. Uh, Secondly, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit who's been poured into our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, like I said, you may not always be able to feel that if you have faith in Christ, 
that you have the Holy Spirit, but you do. It says a bit later in Romans 8, 16, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are his children. The Holy Spirit testifies with us so that at times we do feel the love of God as we gaze upon the cross of Christ. We do feel the sense that we are God's children. We know it when we study Scripture. It's like that song that says, I am who you say I am. You've probably heard it. Absolutely true. I am who you say I am. And that is how we come to God. And that is how we live our life. And thirdly, so we, we, we become hopeful people because of the future. What's going to happen? God's power, on God's power to change our life. Uh, and thirdly, suffering produces hope. Now, it's a very strange thing that the New Testament continually says, that we're to boast or glory or even have joy in our suffering. You think, how? They don't go together. Uh, what's going on here? Are we doing some sort of rational backflips to get from one to the other? But it's not, it's not that hard to see as soon as you've got a little bit of experience. See, we, we skip over those words, don't we? Those two important words that come from Paul just before he talks about how good suffering is. He says, because we know. So if you haven't been a Christian for very long, if you haven't been a believer for very long, you won't know that. You won't know that troubles produce hope. But as one um, person who struggled in a crippling way with mental health um, stuff in, in his life in, and in his work life, said, he says, we can boast in our troubles not because of what they are, but because of what God does with them. What does God do with our suffering? And often it's majestic. So I'll give you two examples, one from Scripture and one from uh, Eastern Europe. The first one is you see in Acts, oh, it's funny, you, you can remember this is Acts 1.8. Jesus says, go, into all, uh, go uh, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel. And you flip it around, and what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1? Well, a great persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and everyone except the apostles fled. What did they flee with? The gospel, didn't they? They fled with the gospel. We have... Letters from, you know, um, Trajan to whatever the other guy's name is. I can't remember it at the moment. What is it, Ed? Do you remember? No? Okay. They're, they're trying to work out how do we torture these Christians in the right way. Like literally writing to each other, I'm not sure what I should do next with the Christians because, you know, it's kind of springing up everywhere. So this horrible, horrid persecution is going on, the torture of Christians. And yet, God is working. He's, he's sharing sharing his love among the nations. Uh, in, in Eastern Europe, I was at a conference, and um, all we hear on the news is how, how bad it is that, that Russia is coming into Ukraine, and it is, and it's creating um, suffering and, and awful things that will that'll, um, haunt people's lives forever. Coming out of Ukraine, 
are the refugees. Now, what you may not know, and what I didn't know until I went to a a conference uh, recently in Poland, is that the church in Ukraine is actually a fair bit stronger and more unified than the churches uh, where the refugees are coming into. So they're coming into Poland and Moldova and Romania and Czech Republic. They're staying in people's houses and they're going, hey, let's do a youth service in English because everyone basically speaks English now. And the, the, the people, they were like, whoa, geez, these guys really take their faith seriously, don't they? And so they're blessing these churches as they come out because of a horrible war. God, it's not, it's not that we enjoy suffering. It's that God paints a masterpiece out of suffering, doesn't he? And we're going to get there. We're going to get to the greatest masterpiece of all on the cross. But what if you're a bit like I was, right? I, was, I, I grew up in a Wessie Prezi church. Great times, good times, family times for 18 years. And I knew these things. I knew about peace with God. I knew that God loved me because everyone had told me. But I also knew that God was coming to judge sinners. And I couldn't see beyond my own sin. I knew that he was a holy God and that he doesn't accept people who lie, who are sneaky, who cheat, who steal, who abuse people, who have hate in their heart. I mean, isn't that the, are they the people God's come to judge? Make our world better. Isn't that the gospel? Which side am I on? Does God love me or will he judge me? Because I know I belong over here. Does God love me or will he judge me? And that was a dilemma. That was a crisis for me. And that wrestling is exactly why I chose to speak from this passage today. How do I know God loves me? me. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do I know God loves me? Because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus died for me. I mean, these are these are my favourite three passage, uh, th- three verses in Scripture. Even though I don't really understand the middle one. Um, so let me let me tell you about um, three things that you might not have noticed in these verses. First of all, time. Secondly, the word for, and thirdly, the word demonstrates. Time. What is the right time for Christ to die? Well, it is while we are still powerless. Why is that the right time? Because that's the kind of God we have. I mean, just think about it. Think about the God who we worship, about the power that he has. Like I said, for him the future is like the present. There is nothing he cannot do. And yet... 
he chooses to make his crowning achievement dying on a cross for weak, powerless people. That's, that's what people look at in art and just weep. Just, just start crying at the beauty of God. That he will choose to die at the right time while we're powerless and can do nothing else. And to be not just powerless, but also enemies. That's the time. Still sinners. There's no greater story that can be told and no greater saviour that can be imagined but one who sacrifices himself for weak, miserable sinners who are also his enemies. Secondly, the word for. How do I know know God loves me? Because Jesus died for me. You see the word for with the word die about five times in there. And that should make you go, oh, that's a bit weird. That doesn't happen very often. You don't read a newspaper article with the word die and for, you know, usually. Maybe in the army you die for your, you know, fellow soldier or your country or your countrymen or whatever. But what does it mean? It means it's a swap that Jesus has died for us. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so if you have any reservation about whether you have the offer of salvation from God, read Romans 5 verse 6 to 8 and see. Jesus Christ died so that you could have peace with God. And what's the cost? To you, free. What's the payment? Scripture says, his blood. The payment for our peace, for the grace that we stand in. And thirdly, the word demonstrates. Uh, As you read over that, you might go, oh yeah, God demonstrates his own. Demonstrates? That's in the present tense. Hang on a second. This is something in history that happened under Pontius Pilate, is it not? No, it says demonstrates. Once for all, Christ died. What did we see before this in the Old Testament? You know, a a lamb being slaughtered or a goat or a goat being sent away for previous sins of the people, right? But in Romans, we we get the idea that, yes, that, that was happening, but actually all the previous sins up to the cross and all the past sins after the cross were paid for at the cross. So there's something present about God's display of love for you when you look at the cross, when you come to the cross, see in verse 5 he doesn't say, uh, you see just the right time when they were still powerless, Christ died for them. No, when we were still powerless, it is a present offer today for you to come to him, to live in peace. And that, that's what changed for me. It was, I was sitting in a talk and for the first time, this verse, I, I, I saw it as, this is the proof. This is the proof that God loves me in spite of the fact that he should also judge me. And that's why I wanted to share it with you. It was the biggest change that's ever happened in my life. But let's come back to now. Are you living in peace with God on this basis now, today, 
because we talked about the different ways that our society and probably you look for peace and rest in this life, none of which work. There is only one way to have peace with God. But what's the problem? The problem is that as we go on in our Christian life, we turn back to the fakes, to the phony methods of rest. We forget that we live in a state of giftedness, that we stand in grace before our Father. See, for the world, RIP, rest in peace, what's the hardest word for them? Peace. How can, they, how can they have a peace with a God they don't know or understand? But for us, what's the hardest word? Rest. To actually rest in the peace that we already have. I heard a, a quote recently from uh, a guy called A.W. Tozer saying, God wants worshippers before he wants workers. God wants worshippers before he wants workers. Now, if you think that you have to work for God or you just want to go in straight into work for God before worshipping him, you have not rested in the peace that has been given to you in Christ. Let me finish. I've started with a movie, so I should finish with one. Uh, recently, Anne and I watched a movie. We didn't even finish it. It was so annoying. Um, and so I don't even care about spoiler alerts because I only got halfway through. The characters were annoying as anything. But the, um, it's called Don't Look Up. Right about you know a meteor coming to Earth and going to uh, wipe it out in six months, and these people have to go around telling everyone about it. No one believes them, and they have a breakdown every three seconds. Um, anyway, I was talking about this movie, Don't Look Up, with my friend, uh, who I read the Bible with. And um, during the movie, Anne and I just paused the movie and said to each, sort of said to each other, "What would you do um, if it, if it was going to happen?" Right. Fast forward to talking to my mate about it. He said to he and I told him about this, and he said to me, "Yeah, what did you say? What would you do if the earth if the earth was going to finish in six months?" And I said, "Well, we said to each other, nothing. Wouldn't change a thing. Like it'd be hard to explain it to the kids, but it wouldn't change a thing." And he said to me, "You don't realise it, but that is a superpower." And it is. It's got nothing to do with me. It's not my superpower. It changes everything about your life. When you have a future, when you know that you are who God says you are, when you can come to him on the basis of Christ's blood and forgiveness as your loving father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words of yours would stick with us. We are very forgetful Christians and believers. We pray that you would continually remind us of the immeasurable love which you poured out on the cross and that we would live to worship and to serve your King, your wonderful Son, Jesus. Amen.